today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Canada spy agency, CSIS, is now warning Canadian universities. In Well, this started actually back in the summertime, but uh, they've continued this and ramped it up a little bit. Uh, the concern here is about using Chinese technology, including a service offered by e-commerce company Alibaba uh, to help students who are based in China taking online Zoom classes here in this country. Uh, we've heard about this before to do with Huawei and a few other things, too. To ask what, exactly what's going on and get some ideas as to what is happening and, and what the universities are doing as a result of this. Uh, pleased to welcome to the program Stephanie Carvin. Uh, professor Carvin is a, an associate professor of international affairs at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University in Ottawa. Uh, professor, thank you so much for the time. Good to have you with us today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Let's talk a little bit about this. And as I say, I can remember having this story on a few years ago uh, when uh, CSIS once again was uh, uh, cautioning universities, I guess, about uh, uh, partnerships they were developing with Huawei. Huawei was throwing a lot of money for research and development into a lot of universities. Uh, and there was some concern about intellectual properties and everything else. What's going on now with, uh, with what's happening here with Alibaba and, and the Chinese government? Well, basically, it's kind of a result of the pandemic, which is, of course, uh, Canadian universities have a number of students who are overseas, many of whom are in authoritarian countries, may not have access to the resources that I would use or that they would use for, for their students. So, uh, the, you know, there is, of course, what's called the Great Firewall of China, which uh, heavily restricts the, the internet that, uh, Chinese citizens can actually use. So this software helps uh, Chinese students access Canadian university databases, um, make sure that they're allowed to access the same video conferencing software. I teach my course on Zoom. So it allows that uh, students to access this. So basically what it is, it was a, a solution that was brought forward by a company called Alibaba um, that um, helped bridge the kind of um, digital, like the, the digital wall between China and and Canadian universities. So that's that's why we're in the situation that we're in. And, you know, because universities had to make a decision quickly when a Chinese company came up with a, a solution as to how they, they help their foreign students, they, they quickly adopted it. And they appear to have done so really without thinking through a lot of the security implications of, of having doing so. I think, you know, when you're in a panic, you're just looking for some kind of device or, or solution without necessarily thinking through all of the implications of that. And that's what happened here. So um, after after the decision was made to go with the software, some, you know, uh, chief information officers or CIOs started asking questions about whether or not this was a good idea uh, when it hit the media. Uh, and then um, so we know that CSIS and uh, other national security organizations have been going to these universities to try to explain to them why this is such a risk. So that's how we got here in, in a kind of lengthy nutshell. Now, have there been examples or situations with, that, that they've said, ha-ha, see what these guys are doing, or is this just a cautionary measure at this time? I think it's cautionary. We don't necessarily know. We haven't necessarily seen anything. To the extent that they're being briefed on actual incidents, I don't know. But I think one of the what the, they're worried about is the risk is that, um, you know, China heavily monitors the Internet. Um, you know, Bill Clinton, when he went to China in the 1990s, famously said that controlling the Internet is like trying to nail Jello to a wall. Well, it turns out, actually, you, if you have enough nails, you can keep Jello on a wall. And that's exactly what China did, right? So it has this kind of surveillance architecture to its Internet. And what we worry about is that, say, Chinese students who are participating in discussions or, or classwork um, with their Canadian students, that the Chinese state actually, um, you know, because it has so much control over the Internet, but also a lot of companies 
Um, and in this case, Alibaba, although it's a private company, the Chinese state has been um, exerting more and more pressure on it. We can talk about that if you want. But mm-hmm. um, basically, uh, there's requirements for Chinese companies to assist the Chinese state where required. And so I think one of the concerns, as it, you know, has been expressed to me, is that um, by actually by private security researchers is that, um, you know, the Chinese state may be able to get credentials. So by credentials, you mean your password and user and login names. And we're all, you know, we're all told to like use different passwords and not to repeat them, but we all do because we're human and we can't remember 870 different passwords. So, um, you know, the fact is that, you know, so say you're using a password to log on to your university account. Well, maybe you're also using it for your other accounts as well. There's other concerns as well. Are they, you know, are they recording uh, the discussions that are going on in the classroom to monitor what uh, their, what students are being said? Are they using it to get access to, you know, the different kind of facial recognition software uh, that they that they heavily use and, and, and voices and, and things like that with students, that, uh, not just Chinese students, but also Canadian students that could be used in, in future uh, national security um, operations. Now, it's getting a little far-fetched, but... You know, China's good at this. They're they're really good at this, and this is what we, we worry about, is that, um, you know, it's not just the fact they'll be able to hear or, or listen on conversations, but they'll be able to actually take people's passwords, spy on what they're doing, uh, further kind of monitor not just students, but basically all the students in the class. And it doesn't really seem that the university thought this through. So this is the kind of thing that I think where a security service uh, would go to universities and try to explain, like, look, these are the risks, these are the behaviors we have seen authoritarian states engage in, including China, and this is what you need to be looking out for when it comes to to the solution. So, kind of highlighting what these threats are, and then potentially an outfit like the the Canadian Center for Cybersecurity, which is kind of the open facing arm of our, our our digital spies, the communication security establishment. Um, trying to offer them some kind of advice as to how to mitigate maybe some of the problems we worry about. But you just, you know, you're describing a couple of scenarios here. Maybe they're doing this, maybe they're doing that. Maybe uh, it isn't the answer to all the things you just brought up? Probably, yes, they are, or somebody <laughs> is. I, I, I mean, I, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a, an alarmist here, but uh, there's a history here, and I, you know, if, uh, we, we've talked to former CSIS members and uh, who have now gone on in private security, and they say, look, don't be naive. I mean, this is happening, and we see, we, well, we see it with elections. We saw it with the referendum in the UK years ago about Brexit. Uh, these guys know how to stick their fingers into just about every pie they want to yeah they are and um you know so I, I guess that's what you're trying to highlight but you know in canada we kind of live in a pretty sheltered existence and you know like i said i think people were just looking for band-aid solutions and they weren't thinking about this so yeah i mean i mean look i'll be honest with you i haven't seen the intelligence but i have every reason to believe a lot of these things are happening or you wouldn't see um the service going out and, and doing this if they weren't worried, right? Like, I mean, they have enough things to do. Like, if they weren't worried about it, they probably wouldn't be giving these briefings. So that, that would be my answer to that question. Yeah. Um, it's actually quite remarkable. Um, you know, just, you know, from my kind of nerdy standpoint, and I try to monitor, like, kind of how uh, national security is engaging with uh, the private sector and stuff like this, but just how much, uh, you know, organizations like CSIS, like the CSC, like the Cyber Center have had to change um, you know, their clients are now not just the government, but they had to go to research labs. They had to go to universities. They have to go to our supply chains, uh, anyone involved in, in kind of vaccine distribution and talk to them and being like, are you thinking through all the kind of possible threats that are out there? And if you haven't, here's a handy dandy list 
that you should be thinking about to secure this because, um, you know, this is, uh, it's, it's, it's funny. If you talk to the people in the community, they say there's the pandemic, but there's a second pandemic and they call it the cyber pandemic. Um, because we've had to go so much online that malicious actors are able to take advantage of the environments that we're in where we're all kind of panicking and trying to make things work in order to, you know, use a lot of the techniques they've been honing for the past five years um, and, and then apply them in, in kind of new and sneaky ways that we may not be predicting. And this is the real thing that we worry about is this kind of second cyber pandemic. And, and this is why you're seeing these agencies, which quite frankly, like being in the shadows, come out a little bit more in the daylight and say, hey, you know, here's some stuff that you really need to know. And one of those things that I guess we need to know and maybe remember, and, and you're right, I mean, you know, running universities, that's, that's your priority, but the security aspect, I think, is, is probably something they should be more aware of. But you just mentioned, for instance, uh, in this case, Alibaba, uh, they're a private company. Not really. I mean, as we found out with Huawei, even if you are a quote-unquote private Chinese company, uh, the Chinese government still exerts a great deal of pressure. If, you, if they can use your technology or the information that you may have access to, uh, I, I'm told by security experts that they can lean on those companies and they have a, a working relationship, shall we say, with an awful lot of these companies. That's not to suggest that you know they're listening to our conversation right now. They might be. But, you know, and they're going to say, well, who would care about that? Information is king, isn't it? I mean, the more information and data you can gather, uh, there's always somebody out there that could use it or buy it or something like that. I mean, you just, you just have to be aware of that. Well, and this is exactly it. And, I mean, I think the thing is what we've seen in these some of these larger hacks that we've heard about, uh, whether it was Marriott Hotels or, um, you know, there was the Office of Personal Management, which is basically the HR records of the United States government, um, these large hacks, I mean, there was so much data sold. A lot of people said, well, what are they actually going to be able to do with this? But they find ways to, 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 to do this, whether it's to try and discover, okay, who's um, actually maybe a source for the U.S. intelligence community, um, you know, who, you know, and even in the private community, though, it's like, you know, who has access to what information that we need in order to achieve things. So, um, you know, I think a lot of times when we think of espionage, we think that governments are, are looking for the crown jewels, that they're trying to hack into the heart of D&D. That's not true. A lot of times they're looking for HR records. You know, is there someone in this company that we can target to become an insider threat? Mm-hmm. To in order to get access to information about a particular intel or a certain intellectual property that we want, or is um, you know do they may try to influence people on a school board to to allow them to bring in the Confucius Institute, which is the Chinese government's um, uh, language schools, uh, and some people have raised concerns about you know how they monitor students who are enrolled in this and, and the kind of messages that are being promoted in these schools. Um, sometimes they're trying to just get access to. Um, land valuation or, or real estate firms and things like this because they want to make certain investments in, um, you know, either mining facilities or in, in town. You know, they want to, you know, if there's, there's a town and, and they want to uh, set up uh, certain kinds of infrastructure in that town, say for a company like Huawei, they want to get those records. So, you know, the kinds of information they're looking for aren't, you know, just the secret government plans, although, you know, who, who, who doesn't love reading about secret government plans? So that traditional espionage exists as well. But we need to really broaden our understanding of, of what the targets of espionage actually are. In a lot of cases, 
it's trying to monitor what students are doing for the purpose of, uh, you know, kind of foreign influence activities. It's uh, also just trying to steal research and intellectual property. It's trying to figure out uh, business plans so you can outbid the little guy in terms of um, or, or Canadian, not even the little guy, sometimes larger Canadian firms so you can, you know, beat their bottom line. Um, and all of these things really do create a very complex picture. And we really do need to think about how uh, we, you know, for a long time, we had our intelligence agencies sitting on what I would call intelligence mountains and uh, really weren't necessarily handing this information out. And we're having to rethink this and thinking about, well, how do we give information to private business, to, you know, crown corporations, provincial organizations, because provincial, you know, provinces don't have spies. In most cases, a lot of our provinces um, don't have clearance. Our, our provincial authorities don't have clearance. So do they know what's happening? So we're having, you know, particularly, I think COVID has really accelerated the way our, uh, our thinking is about protecting our critical infrastructure, protecting our students, protecting our populations from foreign influence. And, and these are good things. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't want to, you know, it, it's a very thin silver lining to a terrible pandemic situation. But Oh, I know, it's but, it's, but it's the reality, though. And your point's yeah. well taken, I think. Uh, you know, because of the pandemic and the lockdown, and, you know, as our listeners know, I mean, I've been, since March 15th, working out of my home. So many other people are right across the country, right across North America are. Uh, people that want to do this and want to hack into this and get information, this is the mother load for them. Everybody's online now doing something, so which means, that, you know, you can access this. And, uh, you know, and, and again, I don't want to go to the point of being paranoid, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a possibility. And the universities, I guess, had to be aware of that. I guess the obvious question at this point, though, what do you do? Do you just say we're not doing anything to do with China? Uh, you know, do, don't trust these guys. You don't want to go to that extreme necessarily. But, you know, do you take precautions? How do you approach something like this? You know, that's a brilliant question, and I'm glad you asked it, because I think one of the problems we have is that we tend to look at things from black and white, trying to go China bad. Well, there is actually a range of, of things, and you can't cut out a sixth of the world's population, right? It's a billion yeah. people. You, you can't just say no, bye. See you later. That's not going to happen. What what we need to do, though, is to have a government strategy where we are trying to do risk management, right? Layered security on, on different things. Like maybe we don't worry about, you know, you know, if a Chinese company wants to come in and invest in fish, like, are, are we really worried about that or wheat or things like that? Now, that might be different if a Chinese company wants to come in and suddenly start buying up all of the land that we grow the reed on, then all the grain storage facilities, and then builds its own roads to get the grain to the port, and it owns the port, and then it owns the boat. Like, see what I mean? Like, you, you yeah. can't maybe worry about that. But, like, I mean, like, we have to kind of look at um, and, and try to understand what kind of these broader, uh, particularly when it comes to something we call state-owned enterprises. It's, and so these are the enterprises where the government actually owns the company. Um, often uh, the, the ownership is, is layered and it's hard to understand. So this is where the security uh, services come in, as well as uh, state champions companies like Huawei, where the, the company, where the government will um, effectively, uh, you know, in the case of Canada, kidnap Canadians on behalf of the company. Right. Mm -hmm. To 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 help circumvent the rule of law. So I think what we have to do is look at risk profiles and constantly be reviewing, OK, well, what where is it that we're comfortable with certain level, areas of investment and what levels of investment and, and going there? Because I don't think you can just say no. And, and frankly, like I would hate it if we cut ourselves off from China because, um, you know, it, it's 
you know, like the culturally travel, all these things are really good. I love having uh, Chinese students in my class. Like I, w- I would hate for them to just be cut off. We need, but we need a more sensible approach to all these questions and, and managing the very real, very serious threats that are presented. We just, you know, it can't just be yes or no. It has to be, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> and we need to kind of delineate what that maybe actually looks like going forward. And I don't think, you know, we're all busy running around with our hair on fire in this pandemic. But, you know, this is going to be the most one of the most important questions that we as a nation face, I think, in the 21st century. How do we manage a growing China that has proven itself to be aggressive in a lot of ways? And, um, you know, part of that might just be, you know, we can't do business with a country that kidnaps people uh, when its companies face consequences for some of the bad decisions that they've made. Like we, we can't. And that yeah. means I don't, I haven't heard Canadian government make that argument to China. So um, this is, this is where I think we need to, to, to be moving towards is developing a, a strategy that would apply to authoritarian states where there's risks. Um, but, you know, maybe that's for the post pandemic world. Well, and to coin a, a cliche, I guess, just to finish off our conversation, I, we got to go in with our eyes wide open. I guess that's the, the, the takeaway from this. Always, yes. a, always a pleasure to have you on. I love your perspective on this uh, and, and the clarity. I think people have got a much better understanding on, on what's going on here. Thanks, as always, Professor. Really appreciate it. Oh, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. That's uh, Professor Stephanie Carvin from uh, Carleton University talking about the influence of foreign governments, in this particular case Chinese government, uh, with the, uh, their Alibaba program, which, I, like as she said, I mean, yeah, it's a private company, but we already know Huawei is supposed to be a private company, too, and we know that they share information with the Chinese government on a pretty regular basis. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.